Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They called me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul, Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know tonight. We're going to do something a little bit different, a demonstration for the class, you could say. Our fellow conspiracy realists from around the world write in constantly with stories of local legends regional folklore, ghosts, and so on. And each of these tales is a unique product of those communities uh, in which those tales exist, but they all have several key things in common. And I don't know about you guys, this has been something on my mind for a long time. I'm quite excited we can do this. If these things have commonalities, that means they can, for lack of a better word, be hacked, be emulated. And that's what we're exploring tonight. But first, here are the facts. What is an urban legend? It's kind of a misleading term, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess when you add the word urban to it, I think it implies it happens in like neighborhoods or in places where people live and it becomes sort of a oral tradition of that region. You know, so I mean, it's not that far off from just regular old myths and legends, but I think when you attach urban to it, it sort of modernizes it a little bit, right? It sort of puts it a little bit more in the context of, and often it involves like murder and, and, and acts most foul usually. Yeah. Cautionary tales. Yeah. But, but ultimately it's a story, right? Yes. An urban legend is a story that somebody told once, um, or maybe it really happened. Maybe it didn't. But as the receiver of that legend or that myth or that story, 
often you don't know if it's true or not, but there's almost a common belief that it could be true. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. And I I think um, part of why urban legend as a term has become a little misleading is unfortunately due to the fact that in the West, for some time, um, politicians started using urban as a racist dog whistle. This has nothing to do with that. You can, as a matter of fact, you can just use the phrase modern legend and it'll right. still get you there. Yeah. Uh, well, what about also, the suburbs? Let's not forget about the sub- suburban legends. You know, these things, these things happen in gated communities too, right? Yeah. Well, but, and think about the word myth when we're growing up in public school or pri- even private school, we hear the word myth associated often with Greek and Roman mythology first, uh-huh. right? Right. That's the first sure. time we encounter it. Right. And into, you know, often if you're in the U S or if you're in a, in a Western country, that's treated as myth. Like, Oh, those are just the stories, you know, that were told back then and all of that. But remember there are temples built based on the characters within those myths. Sure. You know, it, it's, it's not for, for people growing up, in ancient Greece, it's much less of the way you probably think about a myth and what mm-hmm. a myth is. Right? Yeah, and hu- humans have always loved merchandising. That's just step one. Space <laughs> franchise, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there are okay. So there are a few key differences we want to unpack before we get to the really fun stuff. Uh, all right, myths, regular old legends, urban legends, modern legends. What's what's the difference? Where, where's the beef? Myths, like you said. Matt, are stories. They're some of the earliest narrative technology. They pass through generations and they're all the old stuff and they're all attempting to explain how stuff works and why it happens. Why does the sun rise? Why are there eclipses? Why, what, what are seasons? Why do those happen? They're origin stories. That's essentially every myth is an explanation and origin story. They're usually called analogies or allegories. Fables are related. They take non-human things or fictional characters, and they just sort of reframe observations. Legends, though, aren't just origin stories. They can be a little bit, but they're primarily meant to teach a lesson, sometimes a really good one, a really nice, happy one, sometimes a cautionary tale, and sometimes um, they're an anecdote. But they always have at least one true thing involved, a real person, a real place, real events. And the facts about that are dramatically uh, altered to convey a point. So legends are grounded in reality, but are not necessarily true. And urban legends, therefore, I, I posit they're a form of what we could call creative history, like creative writing. Sure. Speaking of creative writing, I would argue that without these urban legends, we wouldn't have the explosion of found footage horror films, you know, and like things like uh, the Blair Witch Project, you know, which really relied on the the fact that people thought that it was real, that it was, you know, footage that had been actually found. <laughs> Hence the name of the genre. Uh, And that really led to the kind of initial groundswell of support for that movie. And then even once people realized it wasn't, it was still a fine film and and a real good horror thing. But that, I would argue, kind of combines urban legend because the urban legend of that story is that these filmmakers disappeared, right? But then the legend is the Blair Witch part. So it sort of combines these two. Oftentimes, these stories do. There'll be some aspect of supernatural horror that is kind of more of a legend or a myth. And then the 
urban part is sort of modernizing it and making it like able to be touched, you know, by modern um, individuals where it's like this is close to home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's an astute observation. We're going to dive into that in a few minutes. Like, okay, here's what we need to know. The tricky thing about these sort of categories is they're much more of a spectrum than they are distinct, discrete buckets of thought. What does modern mean? After all, the meaning of modern changes with every generation because they have new stuff that's modern. That's why terms, at least in my opinion, terms like postmodern literature are (laughs) intellectually fraudulent. It doesn't make sense. It's post what? Post what is it? Uh, Post ironic is is one of my favorites. What is after post? You know, so the first time urban folk, urban uh, legend appears in print is in 1968. There's a guy we've mentioned on the show previously in our La Llorona episode, Richard Dorson. And for decades, this was something you wouldn't really care about unless you were in a class with a folklore professor or, you know, you're studying for a test. A ton in, of people in your town In the 60s, they might know a story about how the local bridge or cemetery or other liminal space is haunted by a lady in white, for example, but they're not going to say, oh, I know what that's called. That's an urban legend. They won't say that until almost two decades later in the 80s. Another guy, Jan Harold Brunvald, writes a book called The Vanishing Hitchhiker, American Urban Legends and Their Meanings, and this stuff is... I mean, you're not going to hear about it a ton, but it's very important to the modern world because their research directly informs what we call conspiracy theories today. And uh, Brunvald makes two very big points, very important points. He says, look, first off, get off your high horse, modern Westerners. Legends don't only occur in primitive societies. They're here with you today, and you might believe a few of them yourself. As a matter of fact, you probably do. Uh, All of us listening and recording the show this evening, there are probably things that we have taken to be historical fact that are simply legends, you know, like uh, George Washington. Yeah, 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 exactly. Presidents, Mm -hmm. the, the folklore that we have around our early American presidents, even later American presidents. It was, and again, there's a use for it. There's a reason. If you want to be a big, powerful country with a lot of human beings that follow the leaders of that country, you do things like make them say the Pledge of Allegiance and sure. feed them stories about the great, powerful leaders that are almost deified, who, you know, who created this wonderful, glorious thing that you now get to live in that you get to serve. Mm-hmm. You should be so lucky. And it also unifies people, right? In a common experience, unifies wildly different demographics of people. That's one thing that the U.S. has been actually pretty great at in comparison to other civilizations. You know what I mean? Pretty great by comparison, not by objective measure, just to be very yeah. clear. Well, and it's funny how the term like oral tradition and like urban legend, all this stuff gets thrown around. But in in a way, it can be a stand in for things like propaganda or just outright lies, because if we have no real source material or no real way to verify these things, then anybody can add anything they want to them to make them serve their purposes. Right. Yes. Just so. I mean, the other thing is the other big point 
that Broomvault makes is that studying these stories gives us this powerful opportunity to learn about the modern culture from whence these narratives spring. You know what I mean? You see this in uh, our book that we released a little while back, where we we explore how conspiracies and conspiracy theories proliferate. And urban legends are quite similar in this regard. They explain things about the world. They connect dots They synthesize your individual perspective into a larger common experience, but urban legends are different from the old technology because they operate off fear. Pretty much every form of a modern, like an urban legend, includes an element of disgust or fright or shock value. And then the teenagers found a hook on the side of the car, you know, stuff like that. They warn you not to do something, and they seem somehow authoritative when they warn you about this. And they, I feel like at that point, we have to say they're not made out of malevolence. People aren't purposely trying to hurt you. They're not purposely trying to just scare you for sadistic kicks. They come about because people play the game of telephone, right? A friend of a friend knows someone whose cousin once went to a school where et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's crowdsourced writing. When you think about it, it's like um, that surrealist game we sometimes play, Exquisite Corpse, where people write a line of a story at a time. You know, yeah. We've all played that. But, but it's also an exercise in, in creativity, especially young creativity. And, you know, you think there's a reason why there's a term campfire stories or campfire tales. And it is because there are things like summer camps that a bunch of kids go to. And there's a common experience at those summer camps often where there's a campfire and people are hanging around telling stories, trying to scare each other for fun. And it's real. And it's it could just be some of these urban legends could just be a single kid that had some creepy ideas Mm -hmm. creep into their head and just went, hey, you know, what if I said it like this? And spit flames by the campfire in there. Yeah. And also, uh, this is an interesting psychological note. Uh, and it's not entirely ethical, but part of the reason why campfire stories, especially scary ones, are so popular is because when you are scared in a group, when you are experiencing heightened heartbeat, when you're getting those uh, fear, adrenaline rushes of chemicals in your brain, you associate the people in your environment with excitement of some sort. That's the reason why you'll you'll hear some unethical folks say, um, Scary movies are a great date idea, amusement parks and roller coasters. It's because that science is true. Now, of course, there's not like a bunch of Boy Scouts are like, I'm going to form a lifelong bond with these people by telling them about a death car. It's I just will imprint upon them. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly. not quite like that. It's not that insidious, but... Unless your scout leader is Dennis Rader, uh, right, Ooh. right, right, BTK. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I don't know if that guy was smart enough to do that. You know. Um, anyway, it's serial killers by and large are not intelligent entities. Uh, so this is all well and good, and it makes sense. But it leads us to the bigger question. Tonight's question. All right. Given that all that is true, and it is, can you make your own stories? Can you purposely design? and spread an urban legend that stands the test of time and becomes part of the culture. We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Here's where it gets crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely can. It's probably, in fact, it's probably easier now than at almost any point in modern history. Isn't that no nuts? Doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, think about it. Like, you guys ever mess with any of those creepy pastas or whatever? You know, all these little stories that circulate around the internet and various subreddits. I mean, that's what those are. They're people making up stories that are rooted in internet culture and then get spread around by people making remix videos or kind of rewriting them or repurposing them or whatever. And the thing that I think is interesting too is we're living in a society where truth is sort of irrelevant in a certain sense. So it's like, we don't really care if they're true or not we just kind of act as though they maybe are you know what i mean and that's all that it takes to to to, to get something out of them in my opinion i don't know well no you're right you make a a video series a single video you make a roblox game you do anything like i think about the back rooms like exactly that that is a thing that is so ubiquitous now with kids um I had to have a talk with my son, like a pretty serious talk about how the back rooms aren't a real thing. 
What are the back rooms? He was freaking out about it. It's this one guy, this creator who created this basically, I think it's kind of well done, simple CG generated spaces that just kind of look like these abandoned offices and they'll be, it's just like a spook fest. You're sort of like a camera perspective that is you, I guess, right, Matt, wandering through and then there'll be a a thing that pops out. First person POV. It's not a game though, right? It's it's, it's videos. Well, it's, well. It's There's everything also, now. Yeah, it's everything. Go. And they're yeah, making it into a film. It's being a feature film by the original creator. But it please, proliferated. T- t- tell me more. I don't know. It just the, the, it's like an, inf- imagine an infinite, you know, empty office space in a post-apocalyptic time that just is like empty. It looks as though people exist here or live here, but it goes on forever. The hallway's a little too long. There are too many doors, you know. Oh, like and SCP. You're being, okay. And a you're being frame. pursued. Exactly. Exact. It's it's all these things together, but it's a very specific version of it that has now become so widespread that there are these things called the Rainbow Friends that are now associated with the back room somehow. And it's just, it's nuts. But it all but came it, from one dude, one creator who... Made up a story. <laughs> and mm-hmm. now you're having talks with your kid mm-hmm. about. But again, we also maybe in the 80s had to have to, our parents had to have talks with us telling us that Freddy Krueger wasn't real. So how is it different? I, I know that it is, but I kind of want to dr- dig into how. Yeah. So in that case, uh, just learning about backrooms now. And thank you for the info there, Matt. It, in that case, it sounds like some people are being taken in, especially younger people, children, but uh, adults by and large understand this is not true. I do want to shout out the SCP article about uh, the endless Ikea. Check that one out. That's really good crowdsource writing. Um, and uh, yeah, fatal frame. Uh, if you if you want to hatch your own kind of conspiracy, if you want to conspire to make an urban legend, we're going to tell you what to do. The first step is to find one true thing. And the more local it is, the better an event, a place, a person, bonus points. If you want to play clue and get a combination of all three, it needs to be something people can immediately confirm on their own. That one true thing buys us the credibility we need for the rest of the story. And that's why so many of those gruesome urban legends bear strong resemblance to real life incidents of crime, you know, but the next question, why does it need to be local? It's a hack. People feel included. Oh, I know about that. I know about, uh, you know, Pennyworth Street. I've been there. That building is creepy. So, for instance, this is just a little <laughs> little hypothetical thing. Uh, no offense to the good people of Fairfield, Iowa. But imagine a town with a population of under 10,000 people. If these folks in Fairfield, Iowa... They hear a story about George Washington chopping down cherry trees and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I I just I'm bound by the truth. I can't tell a lie. They'll just shrug. They'll say, "Okay, fine. He's dead. He never even lived here. But if you tell a story about the quote unquote original site of the Carnegie Library and Fairfield, Iowa has two Carnegie libraries or the true story of an early settler named Nancy Bonifield, they'll become inherently more compelled. They're included. They know there's a Carnegie library in town. They've seen it before. They could drive by it right now. They can hop on the internet and go to the library and they can read all about Nancy Bonifield on their own. So it feels true because part of it is the part in the front is true. Hmm. And then how do you get a bunch of other readers on Reddit to be into it? 
Mm, yeah, that's 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 where we get to the interesting twist. We'll get there in just a second. The, but I guess the, they yeah. could also they could Google the same things, right? And they could find out. Oh, wait, there really is, you know, mm-hmm. that Carnegie Library. Oh, and it says on here there was a different location, and it all starts checking out. <laughs> right. Or, yeah, it says there's a different location, or they can't. They can find that there's a Carnegie Library in. Fairfield, Iowa, but they can't learn much about the history of the land before that library was constructed. And so now there's someone with an explanation. Uh, the, you want an event. The second big thing to Noel, to your earlier point about urban legends and murder, you want an event that is something very bad. Gruesome homicide, always a classic. That's like the Kobe Bryant of urban legend evil. And you want this threat importantly, to be something that can be avoided or engaged with through certain sets of actions. Uh, there was another thing, uh, another thing you said earlier, Noel, that I want to get back to, the idea of supernatural. You have to decide at this point how supernatural you want your story to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, and it really, there's so many different genres of these kinds of tales. You mentioned, Matt, early on, the cautionary tale. I think those are the ones that we remember. And then they get reprinted in books that you could buy at the book fair, like Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And Love uh, it. There, were, there were a bunch of other ones that really, I can't remember, they were really kind of gnarly. Like, they would have the one about the guy with the hook hand and the tapping and the, the blood dripping on the car and the foot scraping and all of that Who's stuff. Who's got my golden arm? That but then I remember there were a couple that had really not not the classic scary stories to tell in the dark with those amazing pen and ink illustrations that will forever haunt all sure. of our yeah, waking yeah. Uh, moments. Uh, but there was a, a series of these ones with like this kind of crypt keeper weird freak that was on the cover looked like kind of like a weird degenerate methy serial killer guy. Maybe I'm the only one that remembers these, but there were a bunch and they were all less rooted in supernatural stuff and more rooted in like stranger danger kind of stuff and you could buy them at these book fairs and I did and I think it really messed me up man I read a bunch of them and they were really popular of course those are the ones that the kids want to read sure they're, they, but I also think that they kind of slipped under the radar and that they probably shouldn't have been as available because it really does kind of mess you up a little bit and make you kind of scared of everybody mm, I'm, I'm, I'm on the fence about it because as a, you know a life Lifelong or deathlong fan of horror, uh, I, <laughs> I I think that's some of the most valuable stuff a kid can read. But you're I, right; it can I'm be traumatic. I, I just mean I remember these being quite trashy and not particularly mm. helpful, and like, also not uh, particularly creative. They're not Stephen King stories. They're not well written. These were like pulp books for for preteens, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's also you know there's that moment when you're a kid, you're reading a scary book, and it it crosses some social taboo line, some social moray, and you actually look up and look around like, oh, is anybody going to see I'm reading this? Um, I think that's an amazing moment. But with the construction of these legends to the point of moving beyond the realm of the supernatural into the secular, that's a real tendency. Uh, In older evenings, a lot of these legends were somewhat supernatural in nature inherently because they descended directly from previously accepted stories about ghosts and monsters and cryptids, non-human spirits, and, you know, ultimately those old myths. But today we're hearing stuff about secular fears. I Like, here's an example. Let's say 
we're starting one of the, we're conspiring to make an urban legend in Fairfield, Iowa in the 1940s. We might spin a yarn about ghosts from the Underground Railroad because the Underground Railroad was a stop in Fairfield, Iowa. Or we might say something about cannibalism in the pioneer days because there were pioneers and settlers who founded uh, modern-day Fairfield, Iowa. Maybe there's a massacre at the side of the library. Maybe it was covered up. But we get a lot more mileage in modern days if our cover-up addresses modern concerns and fears. Maybe, instead of a massacre, that library is the site of uh, environmental contamination. A huge amount of lead, and that leads to insanity over time, right, according to the lead theory. And so maybe that contamination of lead on that site led to, led to, it, <laughs> it can explain any number of unfortunate events that occurred in the town later. I think that would work, right? One more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, maybe maybe we've fallen for it in the past, but I mean, think about it. Like, okay, we have all through different shows, not just stuff they want you to know, but um, in our work as executive producers on any uh, other number of shows, we've dug into local crime, right? And a lot of these crimes are things you might not have heard about unless you were purposely digging for them. And when you go to crimes in smaller towns, what you'll see is there are all sorts of things that can look like connections. Everybody knows the Carnegie Library. And when crime happens, odds are, therefore, that someone who is a victim of a crime, a witness of a crime, or the committer of a crime will have been by the library. They will have seen it. They may have some sort of tenuous association. And now that we've reframed that, as a key piece of the story, those coincidental associations have a new terrifying relevance. The killer didn't just happen to go to the library in school. Going to the library made them a killer. Very dangerous, very tricky, very subtle. Well, and I mean, you know, the, all of this dating back to the, the, the Greek mythology and all of that stuff and even certain religious parables, they're, they're teachable moments. Everyone wants to know why things happen, you know, why things in natural processes happen, why people are the way they are. You know, I love uh, what Neil Gaiman does with myth and, you know, with American gods, for example, or Anansi boys, where he takes kind of the, the African myths of like the spider God and all of that stuff and personifies them and turns them into kind of superhero type characters. I think all that's really creative too. But at the end of the day, these urban legends accomplish the same stuff as those things did. They're a way to kind of demystify the world to a certain degree while somehow mystifying it more it's it's very confusing but it, it's it's very interesting phenomenon mm -hmm. yeah it exploits that it exploits that cognitive mechanism that all humans have i mean and third you want to appear to um empower people right you want to have a lesson because all legends are a lesson right so you want to know you want the audience to know or we want the audience to know how to avoid, engage with, or confirm the threat. This is where specifics become the secret sauce. And this is, this, this is a little bit of styling on it, but why don't we continue that Fairfield example? And then, Matt, maybe we can explore one of your examples, too, because I, I think you wrote something special for this. Oh, yeah. Well, I, there's a story I got to tell you guys at some point. 
All right. We're well, here for it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll be able to see uh, how our, our process here jibes up with it. So going back to Fairfield, let's say we go supernatural. How do we know the ghost from the Underground Railroad are still around today? Well, it turns out every May 14th, on the anniversary of some murders that were completely covered up by authorities, you can see their lanterns out there in the dark. Right around midnight, you can hear their voices calling out from beyond the grave. But only on May 14th. Giving this specific date does something mission critical. We are giving the audience a set of actions they may or may not choose to pursue. And... That's all well and good. You know what I mean? That's the basic cooking. That's setting the oven and getting your mise en place or whatever. Uh, The next part is the trickiest. This is where we get past the science of story technology. We start swimming into the curious waters of propaganda as art. Let's talk about spreading the seed. The important thing we have to realize is back in the day, even in the current evenings, Urban legends do not work when it seems like only one person is telling the tale. They can, they'll be treated like they're just art, uh, fiction. You know what I mean? Like um, some of those subreddits and creepypastas, they're clearly just meant to be scary stories. And there's a definite fourth wall. There's a line between those tales and lived experience. But if you have multiple sources saying the same thing on multiple platforms and you do it right, then people will increasingly assume it is the truth. Can, can I just say I, I did find these books that is I remember it bites? from my childhood? No, it's 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 called the scariest stories you've ever heard. Uh, there are three editions. The first is by Mark Mills, the second by Catherine Bird, and the third by Tracy E. Dills. But they all have these weirdo dudes on the cover. There's like crypt keeper style. And the very first story in the first edition is called The Horrible Hook. And every single one of these is like murdery. And about, like, getting killed by some creep. There's one called the Dog Man, you know? The Night of the... Okay, maybe there are some... There's the Night of the Sasquatch. Uh, but most of them were, like, about just, you know, home invaders and, like, kidnappers and things like that. And I remember these distinctly. And they... Ugh, that's exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And, and going back to this point about multiple platforms and multiple voices, one key aspect here is that those tales cannot appear 100% redundant. Mm -hmm. It cannot appear to be a copy and paste. The different versions out there have to have the same rough events, but they cannot be word for word unless there's a catchphrase, which is, you know, a little more advanced form of this kind of conspiracy. And that's because if it's true folklore, people are going to be, you know, functionally, they're eyewitnesses. They're going to get things wrong. They're going to tell a story about a story and they're going to put their own spins or their own agendas on that, on the bones of that thing, on the beginning anatomy, the blueprint. And you see this, I think most often or pretty often in the details of the call to authority and then the specifics of whatever the terrible event is. I think that's how it works. Sounds correct to me. Well, why, why, why then? Well, okay, let's talk. What is call to authority? What do we mean when we say that? You hear that when you study rhetoric as well, right? Uh, I mean, I think it's just the idea, or there's a, a like a component of the story where the storyteller um, 
gives a sense of authenticity to their recounting of whatever this thing is. You know, the idea of uh, some sort of source, you know, um, that that is that is real and that is to be believed. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the part of the story. It's usually at the end or the beginning where they say, look, this is is how I. Yeah, usually it's one, but uh, it's one or the other. Yeah. And uh, it can be both. You can add more to it. Um, You have to be careful because if you do too much, you'll give yourself away. That's right. So in this part, at the beginning of the end, the storyteller will give you, you know, here's how I heard about this. Or they'll end with some, you know, some version of like, don't take my word for it. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just letting you know, May 14th. Mm-mm. Don't go around the library late. Uh, for example, like at the beginning, it would be something like, "Oh gosh, we we wrote these <laughs> we wrote these weird example quotes." Since these are made up, people, does someone want to do some of the quotes in a voice, like a cool urban legend voice? That's like maybe uh, Carnegie Library. Man, that place gives me the willies. Oh, let me do it like a cool guy, Kip. Carnegie Library? Man, that place gives me the willies. Back in middle school, I remember that kid in the classroom across the hall disappeared. Parents left town. But after everyone said he'd gone out to the library on midnight May. And you know what that means. Am I right, bro? I don't know what I did there, but I got to the end. end That was great. Uh, That's from a conversation with high school sophomores, maybe, talking about ghosts. 100%. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, Or in the end, there might be something with, it sounds crazy, right? No one really talks about it these days, but look it up. Fairfield was a stop on the Underground Railroad. And May 14th isn't that far away, you know? And then... Cute cheesy music, right? Uh, maybe a Rod Serling voice. Okay, so we've got these different stories, and we've got slightly differing versions of the story beats. Now, and this is what you're asking about, Matt. Now we need to put those in different places. Funnily enough, the rise of the internet should have made the world way more accurate, should have made it way safer for everyone, but instead it made things much worse. It exacerbated the rise of unverified and unverifiable claims. So you want to exploit those vulnerabilities. You want to hit local forums. You want to wait until, depending like depending on what date you pick, it doesn't really matter. You want to wait until... It's about a month before Halloween, or maybe it's early October. And then you go into the community pages on Facebook for your neighborhood, right? You go into, God, sadly, um, you could gird yourself and go into Nextdoor, but uh, that place is pandemonium. Hmm. Have you ever read Nextdoor, you guys? Oh, yeah. It's it, it, it's, it's a fear-mongering machine. <laughs> right, right. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think it would work. It's also, everybody there is so angry all the time. I I, I don't know what happened. Or they, they want to sell you things or they need help, you know, with a, a project in their house. I don't know. It's a... It, I think next door in the suburbs, guys, is a little different than next door in like ITP. Well, that's where the <laughs> suburban legends come in, guys. I've been screaming about that from the start. They get these too. No, I'm joking. But you know, the, the, but these communities, I mean, it all is exacerbated and exponentially increased uh, and muddled by 
the internet, you know, and, and that's the internet's a great place for busybodies. And a lot of times that is where these types of things start. And you know who else does this kind of stuff? Uh, Donald Trump, of course, who is just here in Atlanta, um, you get in fingerprint and, and mugshot and all that. He tweeted or whatever he does, truth. Um, Atlanta is a, a terrible, degenerate place full of murder in the streets where people won't go outside to buy a loaf of bread. That's an urban legend. It's just not true. We go buy bread all the time. We go outside. But when you simplify things down to such a, you know, absurdly oversimplified way of, of, of presenting something, that's kind of what that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you also want to hit specific subreddits for related things or specific forums for related things, but you don't necessarily want them A to B related. The more tangentially related these forums are, actually, it, it raises your chances of success uh, and it makes your mental contagion more likely to transmit. So go like if you think about Reddit or Dig back in the day, any kind of those community bulletin board descended things, go to the one about ghost, tell a ghost story, go to the one about lead poisoning, tell a lead poisoning story, go to an unsolved mysteries one and just say, hey, I heard this. Isn't this weird? Has anyone else heard this? And then you're, you're further empowering people to investigate the thing. And if you do it right, their investigations are going to lead them to some other version of the story that you wrote somewhere else. And like, like Jamie Madrox, <laughs> the multiple man in Marvel Universe, now you are an army uh, that agrees. So That's fascinating. I didn't even think about that. It's like breadcrumbs leading back to the same... <laughs> Loaf? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, weird. let's keep the bread thing going. And okay. so so there's a there's a key aspect to this that a lot of people don't think about. And we're gonna tell you uh we're gonna tell you what'll really set your conspiracy apart from uh other attempts after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. So tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Snag a job is where America goes to hire 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Timing, right? Good stories, good comedy, good horror. It's all about timing. Yay. So, <laughs> what, what a terrible joke. Took but, a minute. Ah, it's good. It's good. I like it. That joke about timing took a minute. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, Lord. So, look, you want to do this slowly. You don't want to go out everywhere and have your, your carefully crafted versions of this all of a sudden appear in the same week or the same day or even the same month. You farm it out. You space it out as long as you can. And that's because the visitors to these sites are ephemeral. They're going to come and go. The words are going to remain. And every time someone looks at the most recent version of this story and they go digging, every time they find something that seems noticeably older from a clearly different source, it knocks the credibility up. Interesting. It's weird. Inaccurate. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird one. Yeah, it's true. So what, what do you guys think about this? What if you give it a couple of years, let the heat die down and maybe six months to another year after that, you start quoting your own earlier post from different forums. Sure. That's a good idea. It's a method. Yeah. And again, I mean, the anonymity of the internet allows that to be done. I mean, and it's the same way that the internet is used for propaganda because in the minds of some people, because it exists at all and it's, it's, it's codified in written word, then there must be some truth to it. And that kind of thinking is the kind of thinking that allows urban legends to proliferate in that same way. You know, that because it's out there, it has to, there has to be some grain of truth to it. Um, and that is something that uh, I would say manipulative individuals in politics use to their advantage. 100%. Because it's out there. They refer to it as though it's fact. Mm-hmm. And that suits them. That benefits them. But- A lot of people are saying. Yes. Some people are saying. Um, Shout out to, by the way, a stand-up comic I really like named Shane Gillis. Shane Gillis has a free um, a free special up now, and it is so unendingly hilarious. Isn't that uh, the guy that, that got, he was going to be on SNL, and it was announced he was going to be on SNL, but then he got kicked out for some old stream he did or something? Yeah, he, he has an SNL story I remember, too. I can't, I can't recall the specifics. But a lot of people are saying, no, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so when you quote yourself, make sure you put some small variations into the original story mix. Make sure there's 
one way you've heard it, and there's another version you've heard. This further empowers your conspiracy. And we can measure the success of this when other non-related sources start repping, repeating, and remixing the tale on their own. And here's, here's a spooky part. This is, kid you not, much more likely to happen now than at any other point in human history because of uh, machine learning, because of automated content scraping. LLMs, large language models, chat GPT. They love your campfire stories, bro. They are going to scrape them. You know what I mean? And they're going to inevitably use that content if you proliferate it well enough to assemble throwaway articles, clickbait things, you know, list of topics that are related to stuff you mention in your purposely designed urban legend. And then it'll go back to the humans. They'll pull that up. They'll start quoting that article. You are at the same time that you are proliferating your story, you are erasing the evidence that you created it, which is kind of neat, you know, also evil. It's also yeah. kind of evil. Why do we want to tell people how to do this? <laughs> <laughs> because knowledge is power and we empower people. But Okay. It, but it's also, I think it's important to understand how this stuff works and why, because before we go to before we go to uh, an urban legend Britain specifically for tonight's show and head out on our night walks, there's one important thing to leave us with. It's something everyone needs to think about when we're out there in the dark. It is the scariest point of all. Every step we just described in making up an urban legend for funsies and hacking people's minds to make them believe it is true, every single one of those steps works for real life dangerous things, real life psyops, government propaganda, racist trolls on social media, the, the kind of stuff that religions and state entities use to push the public into war and to egregious mass casualties. It's tech. It's narrative technology. It pushes people toward or away from beliefs that may not be in their best interest. And it's happening right now as we speak all the world round, more than ghost, more than lead poisoning, more than murder. That is the stuff the powerful don't want you to know. And they also don't want you to know it's easy to do it yourself. Mm, so I do it myself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so with, with all that, uh, you know, no, Matt, I think it'll be an interesting experience. We're working live, so I, I don't know I don't know how this will land. But Matt, uh, you've got a you got a story to tell all of us around the digital campfire here. Maybe um maybe you can tell us and um and the three of us can figure out whether it jibes with what we just explored. Oh yeah. Um Oh, okay. Well I'll I'll tell you the story I've heard. It's it's a little weird. Uh, I, I would set it up this way. Actually, no. Why don't, we, why don't I tell you the story, and then I'll tell you what I've heard about the story. Does that make mm. sense? Mm -hmm. Yes, it does. Okay, so you guys know that I worked at a place called PDC here in Atlanta for a long time, the Piedmont Driving Club. Mm -hmm. And yes. I worked there for a long time. My dad had a history there. Uh, he, he was an accountant there since before I was born. I think it's one of the reasons he and my mom moved to Atlanta or to just Georgia in general. Uh, well, look, I heard this from the bartender in the men's health club. So his name is Brian. I can't attest to whether this is true or not. This is just something I heard. 
because it's an old story. The PDC was established in 1887, so it's got a, a long history here in Atlanta. And this story occurred apparently just a couple years after the club was established. So I don't know if that's like late 1880s, early 1890s, but it occurred sometime just after 1887. Uh, according to Brian, there was a daughter of one of the early original members, a guy named Mr. Collins. And Mr. Collins had a daughter who was living right near Emory University in this place called Baltimore Block. And one day, his daughter disappeared. It's crazy stuff. So the the neighbors of the row houses where she lived, uh, this place called Baltimore Block, they were alerted because there was smoke coming out from under her door. And, you know, they're trying to get a hold of her. They can't. There's smoke coming out. So they break this door down. Uh, when they go in, they see dinner sitting there on the stove. It's clearly burned. It's been on there for a while. They can't find her anywhere in her row house in this apartment. It's like an apartment complex, but not really. Does that make sense? This is like sure. the late 1800s. It's it's a row like house. A, a condo kind, kind of what of. we think of today. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she's not in there. Her personal belongings are all in there. You know, it's not as though she's left or anything. As they're looking for her, they hear her meowing like a pretty frantic sounding meowing coming from the bedroom area. So they go in there, they explore and they find inside her closet, the door is open to her closet. The light is off in her closet. The cat is in there meowing like at the wall basically, and just won't stop meowing. And they can't figure out what the heck's going on. They do a search for her. Uh, her name was Annie, by the way, they do, they do a search for her. They can't find her anywhere in the city. She's just disappeared. You guys. And then two days later, Annie shows back up. She's in her apartment. She is just going about her day. One of the neighbors in the, in the uh, row house complex there just kind of sees her. And is like, Hey, Annie, where the heck have you been? And she's, she thinks nothing of it as though nothing has happened. She's just regular old Annie going about her day. And everybody is perplexed and doesn't understand. And there's a reason why it occurred, guys. This is the this is the part of the story, the uh, urban legend part of the Ooh, story. Okay, it's about pets in closets. Have you guys ever noticed your pet paying especially close attention to your closet? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, they love that. Have you ever noticed that it occurs at a very specific time of day? Sure. Mor morning. No. 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 Watch closely next time your pet is checking out your closet. There we go. Check the time mm -hmm. because it occurs most often when the hour and minute is the same. So like <laughs> 101 a.m. or 606 p.m. I'm, I'm not kidding. Check it out. Watch for it. Um, what about triple digits? What about like 333? 333, 333 works too. Yep. Okay. Uh, it's just less common because uh, it's going to occur more than you think. <laughs> this is going to freak you out. Okay. So look. Uh, there's a reason for that guys has your cat or dog or ferret or whatever ever attempted to make verbal communication while it's checking out the closet. You ever notice that too? Like sure. Meowing at the closet, barking mm. at the closet, growling. growling. Yeah. Um, guys, this is what I've heard. It's because closets are gateways. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and everybody knows that. That's where the monsters come through. <laughs> well, under the beds, the same. There's that whole Monster Inc. thing, and it makes you wonder, like, who over there at Disney's like came up with this idea? Well, guys, it wasn't born out of nothing. They're they're gateways for curious entities. Like, Sometimes, uh, yeah. Like the Howie Mandel film from back in the eighties. What was it called? Monsters. Little monsters. Little monsters. Little monsters. Little monsters. Ah. Anyway, there's more to the story if you ever want to learn, but um, you you can probably find some stuff about this online. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to you have to look for it. Oh, bravo! Oh, well done, Matt. Well done. Yes. Okay, so let's let's the only kick it. monster here is you, sir. <laughs> let's 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 kick it on some of some of the things that this tale did uh, immaculately. So we have some pretty strong calls to authority, right? We've rooted this in a real place. Uh, subconsciously, we have one of the biggest calls to authority that humans can encounter, which is a parent. So before we get into the story, we learn uh, we learn about time, right? We learn about a depth of time. And even though that doesn't directly apply to the idea of closets as supernatural gateways, we are now rooted in some sort of credibility because we had the truth up front, right? And now we have also a chain of custody for the story, right? Matt is not, you're not saying Meadow was barking. I opened the closet. I saw, you know, some nightmarish phantasmagoria. You're, you're saying, I heard this from the following people and these people are all real. And then you've got some great, you've got some beautiful specifics We're empowering people with knowledge, a set of actions to observe, to notice, to investigate or avoid. Yeah. Look up Baltimore Block Atlanta history. Uh, We'll do it right now. Uh, Atlanta history. Okay. And you can confirm you did not write this. No, I I wrote all of this. (laughs) (laughs) You wrote You started the historical marker database? Yeah, 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 yeah. You're really playing the long con here, aren't you, Matt? (laughs) That's the the way it works. And those are, what, those are Atlanta's first apartments, huh? Yeah. Home to socialites, bohemians, and one parakeet. Yeah, and, and, you know, the daughter of somebody living there going to Emory University, which was also established in, like, the 1830s, uh, was probably a member of the PDC. Just saying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More it checks out. <laughs> well, that I think that that is a beautiful way for us to end. So you can see, you can see the power of this because stories and narrative and language they are technologies. They're some of the earliest technologies, and they're very powerful. And knowing this, knowing a little bit of the backstage or backroom construction of this stuff, will hopefully help all of us be. Um, a little less credulous, right? A little more likely to start thinking through some of the flags and the processes we've, we've explored tonight. Most importantly, fellow conspiracy realists, we want to hear what you think. We would love to hear your own home-brewed urban legends. Give us the ins and outs, the story beats, do your calls to authority, get some specifics, and tell us why you believe your story could become ensconced in modern folklore. No promises, but if it's good enough, if we vibe with it enough, we might not even read your email on air. Instead, we might join you in propagating your conspiracy. 
Indeed, and you can do so by reaching out to us at the handle Conspiracy Stuff on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and TikTok. Hey, do you like calling people with your phone and using your mouth to talk to them? Well, you can do that with us. Call one eight three three stdwytk That's our voicemail number. You've got three minutes when you call in, say whatever you'd like, just give yourself a cool nickname, and let us know if we can use your voice and message on air. If you don't want to do any of that, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch strata coaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Attention, true crime enthusiasts searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night. Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.